Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset. The Sunday morning after the Wallabies defeated 32, sorry, defeated Japan 32-23 to extend their winning streak out to five games um, on the first test of their four-match spring tour up there in Oita. Uh, it's a pleasure to be joined as usual by Christy Doran uh, from Sydney and uh, back again after a few months' absence, uh, former Brumbies stalwart, uh, now uh, I guess rugby citizen of the world, Lockie McCaffrey, joining us from Japan. Uh, he was at the at the game uh, there in Oita. Uh, mate, uh, thanks for coming back again. No, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me, boys. Uh, guys, let's get cracking. Um, look, I thought uh, probably a game that, um, you know, the Wallabies were expected to, to win clearly and, and win well. Uh, the winning well part didn't eventuate probably as we perhaps perceived. I thought maybe around 18 to 20 points was probably going to be the margin pre-match. Of course, it only finished up as nine and Japan were right in the contest with um, with 15 to 10 minutes to go there um, before Connell McInerney comes off the bench and gets a try on debut and congrats to him. Um Christy, I'll come to you firstly. Uh, James Slipper described it as clunky and then in the post-match presser, Dave Rennie, uh, frustrating and rusty. Um, sums it up pretty well. Sums it up very well. I'm looking forward to getting a little bit of insight, though, from Lockie around what, what happened in Oita. What about all the claps that were just going along? Like, oh, not great for commentary back home, I'll tell you, and those that were listening in Australia. But, yes, the match itself, look, it looks like... When they came out of second, the second half, it was a brilliant start. Great set-piece play there to send Tanila Tupo in. Shortly after, a bit of razzle-dazzle and Rob Leota crashes over. It looks 27-13. It looked like they were on their way, but it was only, what, 10, 15 minutes later that Andrew Mertens described the match as a, a step backwards. Um, I thought that was perhaps slightly harsh and I watched the game a second time and I know that it was frustrating for people and, and yes, indeed, um, Dave Rennie described it being just that. But let, let's be honest, you've got to pay Japan some respect. They're a rising uh, nation. They're, they're probably not as bad as what number 10 suggests. They will fight. They fight hard until the death. Uh, a couple of weeks in between, it's probably mentally a really significant change for this Wallaby side from playing four matches on home soil to a couple of weeks off to then looking what's on the horizon, which is three massive tests against Scotland, England, Wales. And I thought like probably, you know, it, it, the mental switch is a significant one and, and the mental game is so big in sport. That's what separates the best from the worst. I don't think it was that bad, the performance, um, an important win. And in last year, I reckon the Wallabies, like they get two draws against Argentina and that, even though they, they didn't look great against Japan for, for 80 minutes, I still think it was a step in the right direction because it, it showed that a side that isn't always playing well manages to win. And, and that's a big thing. Um, the couple of things that stood out for me were the, the back row of Rob Ballatini, Rob Leota showed some real um, physical strength by shrugging people off, carrying the ball hard. Um, and I really was impressed with Jordan Bataille's touches after coming on after 15 minutes. It's not always an easy thing, but he was he was really impressive in the outside channels. Christy, uh, you mentioned there the, the set piece um, and being able to get over the line. Those two draws last year, which, you know, certainly one game the Wallabies should have won, and perhaps the Pumas are a little bit unlucky to lose the other. But, Lockie, um, you, uh, you obviously played up in the, in the forwards for years now, and you understand the intricacies of of set piece you've worked with Dan McKellar down there at the Brumbies um 
I think we're really starting to see his um, his input come through on that um, that line out, that driving mall. Uh, Christy mentioned that the play down the front of the line out there beautifully worked for Taniella Tupu to go over after some work between Palau Fainga um, and uh, and Bobby Valentini, um, and then of course the line out drive to finish, as I mentioned, uh, Connell McInerney um, barely been on the field five minutes, I guess, and and manages to uh, to rumble his way over from the back of the mall. Um, they're big plays when they count, and, uh, and great to see the, the Wallabies absolutely nailing them when they matter. Yeah, mate, 100%. I think probably our set piece was the one big positive from the game. Um, I think the scrum dominance we had in the first sort of 40 minutes really set up, a, you know, the control of possession and territory there with with slips for Lau and um, Taniella and... Mate, I think it's been the case for the last probably three months of footy. I don't remember um, a time in Australian rugby where our scrum's been so dominant, um, you know, over the last few months. And I think it's it's really exciting to see where they're at um, versus three Northern Hemisphere teams um, up there. And I know um, in Australia's past, we've, we've kind of struggled with our set piece and our scrum when we go up to the Northern Hemisphere. But... Um, I'm really confident the next three games, um, Dan and, and Duplessis and the, the scrum the scrum guys with slips, et cetera, and um, the mall and line out with um, Philip and Rodder running that well and, and some two big units coming into that that pack too. Um, I'm really excited to watch, watch a set piece in the forwards battle over the next three big test matches. Lockie, can, I'm just going to jump in here. Can you tell us, you would have, when you played at, at Leicester, probably come up against a Petrus Duplessis um, did you know much about him at the time? Uh, because he'd obviously been around Saracens for a long, long while, but he came into his own really even as his career kept on going. Yeah, mate. Obviously, um, Saracens was always a big game for us at Leicester and he was a big part of that forward pack. Um, I was probably too far back in the scrum to, to you know notice too much what was happening up the front. Um but he, he's done well everywhere he's gone. If it was Saracens or finishing up, I think, at, at Glasgow. Um, he's very highly regarded in the scrum world and the forward world around the world. So um, he's doing a good job there. Um, I also, you know, you've got Taniella, who is a, is a freak of a human um, strength-wise. I think Falau has really brought back a lot of strength in that set piece too, both at line-out and at scrum. Um, and then you've got Slips, who... I know he's got one more, one more. I think he's off contract the end of next year. But you know, going into a World Cup, making sure you've got strong set piece and a, and a good scrum up front, um, I think he's probably the the key man um, to to run Australia's scrum at the front there too. So it's really exciting. I, I think Dan's doing a good job um, with the with the line out and the mall, um, even in more more defence. You know, Japan had two um, opportunities about five meters out in Australia turn them both over. They're, they're huge plays when um, the game comes down to nine points um, by the final whistle. So it's really exciting, but I tell you what, it's going to be a, another step up for these next three games. Um, you know, I, I think we move on from set piece to a territory battle, which we're probably not winning at the moment, especially with Hodge going off, really only having one kicker with with Quaid in that back line, one natural kicker. Um and you're coming up against guys like Finn Russell, Stuart Hogg, um, Dan Bigger, uh, Marcus Smith, Owen Farrell, the likes of that, who who love playing territory battles and strong set piece. So what a what a test um, for the boys in the next three games. 
Yeah, I think it was a step back in that department, the territory battle, and almost a little bit back to the Bledisloe games from earlier in the year when the Wallabies weren't able to to dig in behind that space. Um, Japan came at them with a rush defence a couple of times, and clearly the uh, the absence of uh, Semikrevi in midfield there, the struggle to get over the game line, they were playing those couple of metres further back behind um, and just couldn't seem to to get those those kicks in. I think Quaid had one or two where he got very close to a 50-20. But apart from that, um, you know, they really struggled to win that side of the game. Um, and, you know, uh, what they had done well against both the the Pumas and and, uh, and South Africa, mind you, with with Karevi uh, hammering it up there in, in midfield. Now, we're, we're not sure where his fitness and his availability is at moving forward. But, um, Christy, clearly uh, his absence yesterday was telling. Yeah, it was. And, and I think the Wallabies had tried to downplay um, Samu Karevi's absence. Uh, they, you know, all the focus has naturally been on Quade Cooper and they've followed him headlines for a decade now. Um, and Karevi, you know, he's, he's probably the most important piece to this Wallabies puzzle at the yep. moment. It certainly seems like that, you know, once we have the introduction, once Australia has the introduction of Will Skelton and Rory Arnold, we'll be able to see what kind of influence they have on the team. Um, but moving out Karevi um, just provided Quade Cooper with the perfect battering ram in the, in the midfield. But he wasn't just that because he had the ability to offload, had the ability to break the line. He's, he is the Manu Tuolangi of Australian rugby at the moment. You look when he plays for England, England rarely lose and they, their attack has a lot more balance to them. And, and now we're seeing that with the Wallabies too. It'll be fascinating to see what transpires over the next 48 hours um, in, in, in Australian rugby circles, Japanese rugby um, too, because from my understanding, there'll be crucial meetings on Monday, which will uh, determine the involvement of Karevi and Sean McMahon for this spring tour. So we know that Quade Cooper was getting on the plane. Dave Rennie um, uh, confirmed that at his post-match press conference on, on Saturday afternoon. He wasn't asked around Karevi and McMahon. Had he, he would have been cagey, I dare say, and probably tried to sweep it under the table. But those, those two guys um, will have significant involvements on the, on the tour if they are picked. What we could see is that maybe they only play one or two tests and, and not the three. Um, but watch this space because it will be significant. Hunter Paisami um, was solid in defence. Um, he did carry the ball, but he was brought down reasonably easily. Whether or not it's just the, the you know, you almost consider bringing in James O'Connor for Quade Cooper because of his partnership with Hunter Paisami. The, the two of them worked so well throughout that Queensland um, period run to, to the, the, um, the Super Rugby AU final that, you know, it, it takes a little bit longer for Quade Cooper to work out what lines does actually Hunter run. So, his impact was certainly um, curtailed by a, a strong Japanese defence at times in, in those midfield channels. Do we dare say that um, Eddie Jones is perhaps playing a little bit of hardball in the background there as, uh, as England coach and Suntory director of rugby? I mean, it's you know you couldn't rule that out. Um, I wonder if he'll uh, he'll be dialing into those meetings on Monday, Christy. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think so, but it is it, it certainly adds to an interesting narrative though, doesn't it? I would think that Eddie Jones, having had two decades at Suntory, um, worked with the Wallabies, Japan, uh, and obviously England, South Africa, he would understand the importance of international rugby and why a Karevi is important to the Wallabies. I wouldn't think 
he'll have a say necessarily in that. I think it will more come down to Karevi and, and, and Santori because he missed the end of the Santori season. Um, and he's, he's spent the last four months with Australian rugby and he's spent the last couple of weeks on the sidelines. Lockie, you can talk a little bit more about this Japanese setup because you're deep into a, a top, sorry, a, a Japanese um, a preseason yourself. Um, so start on that, mate. And then I want to get your thoughts also on whether you would bring um, perhaps both of Will Skelton and, and Rory Arnold in straight away for this Scotland test. We know Dave Rennie, there's a lot of detail in the Wallaby setup. He mentions that week to week about guys joining the squad that they need time to adjust and, and get their head around the, the structures and the, the intricacies of, of the Wallabies play. Um, but certainly Isaac Rodder and, and Matt Phillip were really unable to kind of, I guess, impart any real physicality or momentum into those Wallabies carries there through the middle part of the field yesterday. Yeah, then first of all, with the, the Japanese stuff, um, Suntory is a lot different setup to, to Cute and very professional. Um, all the Japanese guys are, are all pros up there. Um, and they they made the final last year and lost to lost to Panasonic, Robbie Dean's Panasonic. So two really good teams um, and teams that are going to make guys like Sean McMahon and, and Samu Karevi or, or, you know, better players to set up the, the great setups they've got up there. Um, to be honest, they're probably the two luckiest folks in the world because they're missing out on a five month preseason. And if you think preseasons are hard back in Australia, they're even they're even harder here. So, um, um, you know, it, I'm, I'm sure at any level of rugby, there's some smart heads at Suntory and there's smart heads at, at the Wallabies too. And they'll do whatever's best, um, hopefully for the two boys going forward. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know what will happen there, but I do, I do hope for Australia's sake that you see Sean McMahon and, and Samu Karevi playing um, in the Northern Hemisphere the next three games. I think Rob Leota had a good game yesterday, definitely such a strong carrier. I still think um, Sean McMahon's work rate, um, you know, looks looks also strengthens the Australian pack. Um, you know, you've got some real good on-ballers up in the Northern Hemisphere with with Hamish Watson at, at Scotland and um, Tom Curry and Sam Underhill at England that that troubled us in the in the World Cup quarterfinal. So I do think um, if you've only got hoops in that back row, in that forward pack as the on-baller, you might struggle a little bit with the breakdown contest over the next three games. So that's something I'd have in the back of my mind with with bringing Sean McMahon in. Um, Ari, the second rowers, you know, the fact of the matter is you're not going to get um, two probably better ball carriers in the middle of the field than, than Rory Arnold and Will Skelton. Um, you know, I think Matt Phillip and, and Rodder are running the line out really well. Yep. And that's their strength, um, especially defensively. I think they're causing real, real trouble for opposition teams. And that's a credit to them. Um, but, yeah, you know, Northern Hemisphere rugby up there, getting over the game line, playing on the front foot, playing a good territory battle and winning set piece. Um, I would find it very hard not to chuck Will and Rory in and, and really let it rip in that in that forward back. Lockie, uh, a great point around the on-ball presence. Two things that stood out to me in yesterday's game were, were highlights were Rob Valentini at the end, 76th minute, gets on the ball. Uh, to, to win the penalty out wide in the outside channels that allows Connell McInerney to score. But also, I think it was about the 36th minute, Tom Wright gets on the ball, showed great awareness. to a vital turnover. Yeah, and it was vital because, you know, if Japan went, get a penalty there, they, they'd take the lead actually into half time, uh, And yeah. that would have certainly changed the narrative of the game going forward. Um, but 
can you tell us uh, great points around the second row with the defensive line out prowess of, of Arnold and Phillip? That's always been their strengths. I was a bit critical at times throughout the rugby championship, let us know, of the lack of, of ball line dominance from those two. It's something that Dan Vickerman used to do so well for the Wallabies. Are you able to tell us what does it mean when you have a guy like an Arnold or a Skelton who could come off the bench, might not necessarily start? What do, do those kind of players allow a, a second row, a tight five, forward pack? How did their presence change the game compared to a, an Arnold or a Rodder whose strengths aren't necessarily ball carrying? Yeah, then I think uh, you look at tight five. First of all, set piece is number one. So you you got to win your set piece. So you, you look at guys like, you know, I know if you talk to the props and the front rowers, having someone like Rory or Will, especially Will behind you, no one's complaining there when it comes to scrum time, more time, um, line out time. They might not be defensively as as good as um, as Rodder and Matt Phillip in the air, um, but I'm sure with, with the system Dan's got in the line out, you know, we'll win good ball. Um, and then it comes down to winning game line, really. Um, you know, Rodder's work rate, he's, he's made some good carries the last probably month. Um, but I think, you know, the experience Will and Rory have got over the last two to three years playing, um, you know, at top competition European games up there, um, I think they will dominate that area of the game a lot more than um, the other guys. I think the, the, the important thing is having that balance in the forward pack. So if you did bring in Rory and Will, as big ball carriers, et cetera, you might lose a little bit around the field in terms of work rate and breakdown, et cetera, with, with Rodder and Matt. And that's where I would be bringing in someone like Sean at six because then you cover that work rate slash, you know, ball carrying balance. I think if you keep Rob at six, then it would be a little bit dangerous bringing Rory and Will in together because then you've got, you know, out of the back five, you've got, uh, you've got four big ball carries with Robbie there too, and only one real, you know, uh, breakdown specialist with hoops. So I think the balance there goes a little bit too one way. So, you know, the Wallabies coaches are, are some of the best in the world. I'm sure they'll make the right call. Um, to me, that would be the biggest decision, getting that balance right for the next few games. Um, so if you don't get Sean on the tour, I probably wouldn't chuck them both in there. I'd go with one of them and one off the bench. Um, and if you do get Sean on tour, then yeah, I'd be, I'd be pretty confident chucking them both in and, and having Sean's work rate to pick up the, the slack there a little bit in the back five. One thing that guys that is just good to see is that the Wallabies have these decisions to make. Um, they've got the depth there. Well, uh, we'll have pending, you know, what the uh, what comes out of these meetings with McMartin Creevy tomorrow. But looking specifically at the pack, there, you know, just talking there, Lockie, you've come up with kind of three or four different compositions of, of how the the second and, and back row could look moving forward, and that's something that um, you know we haven't seen a lot of in Australian rugby, probably for the best part of, since the the 2015 World Cup, having those options and and putting thought into you know how you may combat opposition teams in a certain way with how they play, um, how you might um, select your squad to, to you know, uh, give yourself uh, the best chance of winning those key battles at set piece and around the paddock. So, um, yeah, let's uh, take anything from from that. Um, and I'm, I know we're all going to be intrigued to see what happens over the next two weeks before this Scotland game, um, that it's great to see regardless. Uh, Christy, Reese Hodge, um, pectoral injury, 
uh, tour over. Um, terrible news for him. And I guess uh, we don't want to call it a fullback curse because we might really put uh, the mocker on it for the rest of the tour. But with Tom Banks gone, now Reese Hodge, um, Andrew Kellaway shifted uh, into the 15 jersey from the wing yesterday. Is he the man going forward? Could we potentially see a name, another name from the European uh, European rugby pop up uh, once the Wallabies get up there? It's really fascinating this because when you the other thing that was wasn't really you know this needs to be the analysis going forward is how the Wallabies makeup of that backline looks when you don't have a Reese Hodge and when you've already don't have Simon Karevi there it looked pretty small and let's be frank about it. Um, I know, thought Hunter Paisami yesterday looked tiny and I'm I didn't notice him on the field. I forgot he was playing for the first half hour. I think you know, the two of he and Lenny Yikatau, similar sort of body shapes. They probably get confused at times about who's who in the zoo. But when when Kellaway shifts there and, and you've got a, a Paisami, um, well, a Quade Cooper, Paisami, Lenny Yikatau, um, and, and Andrew Kellaway at fullback, it's, it is a small back line. So that's where the makeup of it going forward is interesting and in how you change um, the makeup of it. Look, I, I've been told that. Kurt LeBeal hasn't been spoken to for, for months, hasn't been, ha- hadn't had any kind of indication that he might be caught up for the spring tour, which, and I was told that, um, you know, paraphrasing from a, from a senior official that, you know, absolutely no chance was essentially what I was told a few weeks back um, around Bill. So it would, I think, take a lot to change uh, the perception there. I think it could be a Scott Johnson thing, an issue there. Um, Luke Morahan's name has been sounded obviously more of a winger, but um, it, it has there, I guess. Yeah, it, it has. And look, Luke Morahan's done well for, for Bristol, who was brought back for the Australian Sevens at times. But let's be frank, Luke Morahan wasn't necessarily starting in years gone by for Australia either. I know that some players do go overseas and they get better, but look, I, I don't think he's necessarily the answer. I, I, I would be almost um, considering a, a Tankelly Nyaboro because he just brings you an absolute colossal beast out wide who will get you that game line dominance, that will be a threat out wide, who will impose himself. He, he could be the person that you bring in. And I, I think, you know, it's a travesty that he's only played two or three test matches under the Michael Checker regime before he went back to, to, to Europe. Of course, he was brought back for a year. Um, Reece Hodges, yeah, I, that, I'll be surprised if he manages to play against Scotland, given he looked in a fair amount of concern. Um, he's getting on the plane. We'll see more about that with the scans, but he's in, in grave doubt. So watch his space on, on, on that. Pectoral injuries uh, tend to be on the, the longer uh, scale of, of time on the sidelines, unfortunately. Um, so let's hope that Reese gets some, some good news. Um, Lockie, I just want to dig in a little bit more on Bobby Valentini with you. Um, certainly when you were on the podcast earlier in the year, you were, you were big on him. Um, he was having a stellar Super Rugby season. But my goodness, he's really, really starting to step up and dominate this test arena yesterday, um, playing virtually 80 minutes. Um, and the work rate at minute 70 is the same as the work rate at minute 10. Um, just another really, really strong game yesterday. Yeah, mate. I'm even bigger on him now than I was a few months ago. <laughs> I think... Um, you know, he dominated Super Rugby um, and everyone saw that pretty pretty clearly, but everyone was kind of had maybe second thoughts on how he'd go, you know, at the top of the test level versus, you know, teams like the Springboks, All Blacks, etc. And I don't think he's gone, you know, he's only gone forward in, in my perspective. Um, 
his all-round game now, he's gone from a big ball-carrying kind of six or eight to now an all-round, um, really just unbelievable rugby player, mate. And I think he's still only 22 years old. It's, he's, um, it's huge upside he's, still to come, isn't it? Oh, huge, mate, huge. And he, he's, he's surrounded himself with, with good players, good coaches. You can see how hard he's working. Um, I think you summed it up there with the, with the work rate, mate. I think um, naturally he'll have everything else in his game, really. But as long as he keeps his work rate up where it is at the moment, playing 80 minutes week in, week out, um, he's going on to be, you know, one of the best six or eights in the world, mate, like a Jerome Kano almost um, persona, you know, over the next hopefully decade of, of world rugby. So I couldn't talk highly enough of him, mate. Um and he's going to have, you know, a really good test coming up the next the next few games against some some quality back rows in um in England and, and Scotland especially, but also also Wales too. Absolutely, um, Christy, you're about to leave us because you're uh, you're off on a boat party. Half your luck on a Sunday here, but in Sydney, out of lockdown on uh, on Sydney Harbour, it's looking like a pretty nice day out there, man. I'm sure you'll have a, a famous afternoon. Um, before you go, I put the question to Michael Hooper in the post match presser yesterday. Now, what was the intensity like out there? Obviously, we can't get a feel for that back here and we're not playing, clearly. But also then, um, are Japan ready to join the rugby championship? Uh, he deferred that part of the question, saying it was above his pay grade. Um, although Dave Rennie was asked again shortly after and he seemed to think that, um, yes, they're on track. Um, Paul Cully's got a story in New Zealand press today saying that um, the the nation's championship, not actually in that original mould that they tried to sell to to the World Rugby Nations back in 2018 or 2019 uh, isn't back in the same mould, but they're trying to come up with different um, compositions of how such a tournament might look. Um, Japan, for you, two years, uh, sorry, 2024, ready to join the rugby championship. Would you bring them in? I absolutely would. I think it's it's pretty disappointing it's taken this long. I know that, that COVID has curtailed things, it curtailed Super Rugby. Um, in its in its previous edition, um, I think it's disappointing it's taken this long. I think it's disappointing that not only Michael Hooper deferred the question, but guys like Andy Marinos, um, you know, the CEO of Rugby Australia, previously had not been stronger on it. You know, had been going, you know, oh, we've got to look at the finances, we've got to look at um, getting through COVID. I think why not talk Japan up? This is a rising force. This is a, a nation with what 130 million people there, or whatever the figure might be. Lockie, can I just interject? Was that game on free-to-air television in Japan yesterday, mate? Mate, then I was sitting in the players' suite, um, family ticket, so I can't I can't comment on the TV, but I'm sure it was. I I um I can't reinforce Christie's comments um, stronger, mate. Anyone that's been to a rugby game in Japan and the atmosphere and, and the culture here and, um, you know, the people it's bringing over in terms of the rugby world, the sooner we get them involved, the better, mate. It, it, it would be a huge shame if, if we take too long and, and the, you know, the six nations, the Northern hemisphere, et cetera, grabbing would be such a huge loss. Um, there's, the potential up here in terms of joining the rugby championship is absolutely huge, mate. And I, I agree with Christy. I couldn't think of one negative bringing Japan in and I could list about 10 to 15 positives off the top of my head, mate. So I, I hope just the same as Christy that it's done sooner rather than later. The reasons for that, uh, not only financial, it, it would, 
the, the, the rugby championship of the moment is, um, I, I think it's a bit sterile. It's, it's, it's lacking flavour. It's lacking history. It's lacking um, uh, real attachment for a lot, a lot of people. Um, Japan would bring, and, and not only Japan, Fiji or, or certainly a Pacific Island team would allow to have a real flavour, have diversity, have an interesting way of playing. But, you know, like with, with the, this is where management, I think, needs to show some vision to go, well, where is the super rugby players? Where do we want to look? If we are to lose them, to the player drain, where would you prefer them? Japan, absolutely. It's the same time frame. People can watch them. They can be brought into rugby championships and they'll be released um, under under current law. This is an absolute no-brainer. And it and it and it's and it's pretty average for for people not to get behind them more. And you know it's an interesting idea that and, and story, and I'm sure it's bang on from Paul Cully around the a, a nation's championship or whatever it might be. And that's really important for an international calendar um, for going forward because there'll be much more alignment between the North and the South. But it's also important for things like private equity because investors want to know what's going forward for, you know, not just an international market, but the club market. So it's a really important piece of the puzzle. And the quicker that Rugby Australia starts to saddle up and go, Japan, you are our best friends, the better. And Absolutely. just on that, you know, I know I know Japan weren't great yesterday, um, but for them it would have been definitely a pass mark too. You know, you've got the coaches that have been away for most of the last six months. They've only had camp together for the last few weeks. They haven't had six to eight test matches to lead up to this game like the Wallabies have. I think their last test match might have been versus Ireland about nine months ago. And they've had a few injuries also um, going into yesterday's game. So, you know, I know, I know Wallabies comfortably kind of won yesterday in the sense that they didn't play well and they still got over the line but watch Japan over the next two years leading into this World Cup they will put a very very good team together going into the the French World Cup and going into any rugby championship you know hopefully they're joining they they won't be at the bottom of that um, rugby championship when they join I I, I would rec- I, you know I would tip and on, on, on the basis of what we saw uh, through the rugby championship, I think that Japanese team beats Argentina, certainly. Yeah, yeah, they do. And the other point there is with a home rugby World Cup potentially in Australia, likely in Australia, what a better way to go, Japan, you're only up there nine hours away. Come on come, down. Come down and enjoy Australia for its fruits. The world should be up and running then with no thoughts of COVID, hopefully. But... There are so many things on the plus side here. There's already relationships between Queensland, Panasonic, Kintetsu, the Melbourne Rebels, um, sponsorships galore. Um, yeah. Vinny Marinos, like show show your vision. It's not a. It's you know. There's. It's clear why Sunwolves, everyone's second team, and why Japan's everyone's second team, and it's the way they play. You know, Jamie Joseph and Tony Brown, Scott Hansen have put together such a wonderful game plan for running rugby, unstructured footy for, for their team that they've been working on for the last kind of five, six years. Um, and that's what, you know, the rugby championship, everyone complained about the style of rugby South Africa or Argentina played. You bring in Japan, they won't that's be playing that boring yeah. style of rugby, etc. You'll have offloads galore. You'll be running rugby. Um, and it just adds, uh, you know, Christy said flavour. 
it had so much flavour to that rugby championship. I'd be I'd be pumped to see them join. Absolutely. Well, uh, as uh, Christy said, uh, get uh, get to work, Andy Marinos and uh, Brendan Morrison and Co at uh, at Sands, uh, guys. Um, that'll probably just about do us today. We know Christy's uh, got to get uh, Harborside. Um, thanks very much. I think we're all pumped about what's to come in the next few weeks. Uh, week off coming up, and then uh, to Murray Field we head. Uh, Obviously, Scotland is a team that's given the Wallabies uh, plenty of issues over the last few years. Haven't beaten them for since I think about 2016 or 17. Um, of course, that loss in Sydney, and then uh, also uh, that hammering uh, at the end of 20, 2017. So it would be 2016 their last win the Wallabies. Um, thanks very much, both of you, for joining. Uh, uh, Lockie, great to have you back on again, mate. And uh, we might get you back on uh, through the UK part of the trip as well if uh, if you're happy with that. No, enjoy, guys. Christy, have a good day on your boat, mate. I might. I might look into joining the media after after I retire, so have a good day. <laughs> Cheers, gentlemen. Keep well.